Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. Put 5,000 feet in here, just as a reminder that you have to level at that height. Then we've got EPR set. You're going to use the EPRs as you advance the throttles to make sure both engines are performing normally. So you would dial in here 1.85. Next one. No, uh, T-A-C-A-N. The TACAN. So the TACAN uh, is a radio uh, navigation aid and what you'll be setting there is your, what you expect the outbound heading to be. Right. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. A podcast about all things aviation with a special focus on aviation history. My name is Gary and I'll be your host. Now what you just heard was a demonstration of the pre-taxi checklist for a General Dynamics F-111C formerly in service with the Royal Australian Air Force, now retired of course, and currently on display at the Queensland Air Museum. What you heard was a lucky punter sitting in the left-hand seat of the F-111 and a gentleman, now retired, who flew that very aircraft, sitting in the right-hand seat and talking him through the checklist. Do you want to hear a bit more of that? Just a minute or so? Of course you do. Okay, so bomb nav mode selector knob. Okay, so that's that one there. Yeah. Make sure that you've got it in uh, the nav position. Nav. That's in nav. All right. Uh, heading cross check. What we're doing now is we're going to look at all the various uh, instruments that give you heading and make sure they all correspond to each other. Um, ejection handle and center beam safety pins. All right, so at this stage, you take the two pins out of here and the pins that are up in here. And then, of course, once you've done that, all your ejection system is live. So don't pull anything. Don't touch any of those. Chocks out. Chocks out. Um, auxiliary brake handle. Which is that gray one down the bottom to the left of that's it so you'd push that in but at the same time before you do that you'd put your feet on the brakes right. can you feel them yep i can all right so we push the toes down before you put push that in so you push that in yep and now what's stopping the aircraft rolling are the brakes that you've got your feet on okay uh so not got nose wheel steering so you now need to engage the nose wheel steering so you would push this button here now I have to make something really, really clear. This is important. At the time of recording, you are not able to come into the Queensland Air Museum and have the kind of experience you heard just now. In fact, it is a rare treat to have the cockpit of the F-111 open and with COVID restrictions, we are currently not able to invite visitors into the confined spaces of our aircraft so I don't want to mislead you. Just for now, you can have a guided walk around of the F-111 and all of our aircraft, but as you'll hear in my conversation that's just coming up, 
we have a very special F-111 experience in the planning phase, which will be available very soon. And in that experience, you will be able to sit in the cockpit with a former pilot and go through a checklist and more. We'll explain a bit more about that in our conversation that you'll hear in a moment. But because this is the first episode, let me just introduce you to what we're doing here. In this episode, we're going to do what we hope to do every month or so in these podcasts, and that is to meet one of the Queensland Air Museum tour guides. And let me tell you, these people are a fascinating bunch. Some people, when they visit us at the museum, they prefer to just make their own way around the six acres of aircraft and exhibits, and that's great. Others appreciate the fact that there are almost always a couple of guides around the place to answer their questions and generally make sure that they get the most from their visit here. We currently have 18 trained volunteer guides and each one of them brings a unique aviation perspective. Today you're going to meet Royal Australian Air Force Air Vice Marshal retired Dave Dunlop who volunteers as a guide a couple of days each week. And if you don't know, an Air Vice Marshal in the RAAF is the equivalent of a two-star general. Dave is an excellent bloke, an all-round gentleman, and I was delighted to talk with him. So right now, this is me talking with Dave Dunlop. So I'm here in Hangar 1 at the Queensland Air Museum. We're standing just under the F-111C. And I'm standing with uh, a gentleman who actually flew this very aircraft. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Thank you, Dave, for talking to me. This is uh, retired Air Vice Marshal Dave Dunlop, RAAF. Dave, you've had a lot of experience flying. How long have you been flying aircraft? Well, I was very fortunate uh, to learn to fly as a 16-year-old. And I did that as a Air Training Corps cadet. So my school, my high school, had a flight of uh, the what was then called the Air Training Corps, which had been established by the Air Force in World War II to give pre-enlistment uh, training to young males. So through that process, or through the cadet organisation, uh, there were six flying scholarships awarded each year to people in southeast Queensland. So I went through the process and was selected for one of those flying scholarships. So very fortunate to start as a 16-year-old. That's a great way to start. So you were born in Queensland, grew up in Queensland? Yes, I was born in Brisbane and grew up here. Went to school at Jeronga, then into uh, in high school in Brisbane and joined the cadets. And I guess the fact that you joined the cadets gives us the idea that you always wanted to fly, is that the way it was? Not necessarily. I, um, I suppose like most young boys of that period, uh, growing up in the 1950s and 60s, aircraft was something that you all uh, were interested in. But uh, we had a family friend who was uh, about five years older than me who uh, was learning to fly. And I suppose uh, having him around and chatting to him, uh, and he did stay with us as a boarder for about six months. 
and I guess during that period um, he explained to me what he was doing in learning to fly at Royal Queensland Aero Club and that probably influenced my decision to join the Air Force cadets rather than the Army cadets. These scholarships for the Air Training Corps cadets were locally based so the six of us uh, in that particular year did our flying training with Royal Queensland Aero Club out at Archerfield. So the um, Air Force paid Royal Queensland Aero Club for the flying that we did and then they uh, took us through the whole process. It was rather um, significant because we, we, at the end of it, we'd done about 80 hours of flying and we had an, what was then called the unrestricted private pilot's licence. And did that give you some kind of uh, entry into the RAAF automatically or how did, that, how did you transition from there? No, it, it didn't. Uh, I suppose the Air Force uh, was trying to, by using this uh, flying scholarship scheme, to influence people to join the Air Force. And for, I think, three of our six, we did join the Air Force. But you then joined and went through the normal process. In my case, uh, I joined and went to the Air Force Academy at Point Cook where we did a science degree with Melbourne University and some flying. At the end of that, we then went and did a normal pilot's course with the Air Force. Okay, so before we get there, you, you're learning to fly, you're doing your 80 hours at the Aero Club. What are you flying? Well, at that time, the Victor Air Tourer had been introduced to flying organisations around Australia. So Royal Queensland uh, had a number of those and so we all learnt uh, on the Victor Air Tourer as well as Cessna 150s and Cessna 172s, 172s mainly for our navigation phase. My instructor was a, a, a former World War II Lancaster pilot by the name of Gus Day who's a bit of a legend at Royal Queensland Aero Club and uh, he would take the three of us that were in his charge, the three Air Force cadets or Air Training Corps cadets, on cross countries. One person would be up the front with him uh, doing the actual flying and the navigation and then we'd land and swap. And that way all three of us were getting the experience uh, and, and you, really it was three times the experience for the cost for one. So very clever the way he did it. Uh, I would say he was very firm but fair and a very good instructor. And did you know straight away, you know, when you got into the air that this was for you? I think so. You, you, uh, a lot of people talk about catching the aviation bug. Various people have got other names for it. But basically you uh, spend a lot of money learning to fly perhaps. I was fortunate the Air Force spent a lot of money trying to capture me, which they did. And uh, once you've got that aviation or flying bug, you tend to have it all your life. How many years now have you been flying? Suppose I started in uh, 1965 and I, my last flight with the Air Force was in 2001. And since then I haven't actively continued flying uh, but I have gone and you know done some 
um, significant birthday gifts, flying tiger moths and things like that. Birthday gifts, how does that work? Well, I suppose uh, having an owl and a tiger moth, uh, perhaps for your 60th or your 70th birthday, is, <laughs> is uh, quite a treat and also brings back a lot of memories. Tiger moths, uh, I never learned to fly in a tiger moth. I might add that Royal Queensland, when we were flying Victor Tours, still had a couple of tiger moths, but they were more for the enthusiasts as opposed for a main uh, training aircraft that moved on from the tiger moths by then. Okay, so all of those years in the Air Force, what did you first fly in the Air Force? But when I was uh, at Point Cook, I flew the Windjill. The Windjill at that stage was the basic trainer for the Air Force. The Mackie was being introduced to replace the two-seat vampire as the jet trainer. But at the same time, the Air Force looked at their training system and adopted what was then called all-through jet training. The idea was you'd do minimum number of hours on, in this case, the Windjill, about 20, and then you'd do the rest of your pilot's course flying Mackies at Pierce in Western Australia. So I was on one of those early courses. Uh, so most of my pilot's course was flying Mackies at Pierce in Western Australia. Now, I'm a complete civilian, Dave, not just because I haven't been in uniform, but because I... I come at aviation with an interest rather than experience, so I'm speaking, you know, completely as a as a, a novice here. Can you describe? Is there a difference in the way you experience flying a jet to a propeller aircraft? Obviously, it's faster, but in what other ways would you describe that it's different? The process, obviously, um, the physical way that you start a jet and, and use it is uh, different. Uh, but the, the overall way you would, in, in, especially in a training environment, uh, it's the same processes that you're using, just a different vehicle. And in this case, the Mackie had a Rolls-Royce Viper in it, which was a very robust and forgiving engine. Um, the Air Force at the time saw the future as jet, not uh, propellers, hence why they went to this uh, all-through jet. Jet is much simpler to use. If you look at uh, a piston engine advanced uh, aircraft with a variable speed prop and etc etc uh, it's quite complex to keep all that uh, under control whereas the jet is much simpler it's got one lever you know slow and fast <laughs> and uh, especially when you get to something like an F111 or a Mirage uh, very simple very simple, whereas a much more complex aircraft with propellers or gas turbines driving a propeller is uh, a lot more to deal with. And you would have graduated up from the Mackies, what, to a Mirage? Yes. Uh, so I, off pilot's course, you're then streamed uh, to various aircraft types. In my case, uh, with a few of my classmates, we went to Mirages. So we got posted from Pierce to Williamtown, just north of Newcastle in New South Wales. And there you do a, in our case, a fighter leading course on Mackies. 
but you are taught all the basic fighter skills on the Mackie before you progress to the Mirage, noting that that was a fairly big step from a Mackie to a Mirage. And fighter skills, I guess, are the obvious things. When you're engaged in combat with somebody who's trying to shoot you down, there are things you have to learn that go way beyond just mere aviation. That's correct. So besides, uh, we'd learn to fly the Mackie, but you, you will learn tactical formation flying, uh, air-to-air combat, air-to-air gunnery, but also because uh, the Mirage had two roles, air-to-air and air-to-ground. So on the Mackie we also were taught how to use the aircraft to attack targets on the ground. So that was part of the fighter leading course. You, you went through the whole process and then at the end of that you went to a Mirage conversion course. So tell us what a strike pilot means. When we introduced the F-111 into service, it really replaced the Canberra. That was our first jet bomber. And the bomber came out of World War II, the Lancaster's Bomber Command. We replaced, uh, in Australia, we replaced uh, the Lancaster with the Lincoln, and from there to the Canberra. fairly large step as it was for most air forces. The F-111 was another huge step in that stream in that the aircraft itself could outrun a fighter. But it wasn't a fighter, it couldn't turn. So I suppose the term strike brought together that it was a bomber but it could go as fast as a fighter and therefore could strike uh, in the F-111's case at night at very high speed. So I'll just make mention of the fact that you've, you've referred to a number of aircraft now that are here at the Queensland Air Museum. We have examples of them on display and uh, they are the, you know, the stars of the show here, obviously, the, are the aircraft. So you've mentioned the Windjeel, we've got a Mackie, you've talked about the Mirage and the F-111. Uh, we have a Canberra as well. Yes, but I also flew quite a few variants of the F-111 over the years. I was fortunate to do an exchange tour with the United States Air Force at a place called Mountain Home in Idaho, which I might add is uh, nowhere near the mountains (laughs) and uh, in the middle of the desert. And so there I was uh, fortunate to fly the last variant of the F-111 called the F-111F which uh, really was because it was the last development. They had, uh, it was a digital aircraft rather than analog. It uh, had the upgraded engines, it had upgraded systems. So it really was, if you like, the, uh, the Rolls-Royce version of the F-111. Um, now we have an F-111C here at uh, the Air Museum. Let's come to the Air Museum now. There are so many stories about your flying career that I would like to explore, so can we do that again? We can come back and talk more. But just for this episode, we just wanted to meet you and and be introduced to you. I I did want to mention that you've uh, reached the the level of Air Vice Marshal, and I think I said that at the beginning. Um, Is it two stars? Two stars. Two star general, yes. So you are a tour guide here at the QAM. How long have you been uh, involved here with the museum? I suppose uh, I became involved at Queensland Air Museum 
when they were getting the F-111, there, there were six uh, of the F-111s when they retired, after they retired in 2010, that went to private museums, five in Australia and the other one in Hawaii. QAM had been trying to get one of those for some time. Um, behind the scenes there were many people who were supporting them. Once it arrived here, uh, then um, I helped with um, showing people the aircraft at uh, open cockpit weekends and then as the tour guides situation developed to where we have most days uh, one or two tour guides here at the museum to show people around, uh, that really led to spending, I suppose, more time here at QAM. I might add most of, most of us also behind the scenes do quite a few other things to help the museum and at present, uh, the present project for Peter Grouder who's an air commodore retired and he and I used to fly together in this particular aircraft over many years is to put together what we're going to, well what we are calling the ultimate F-111 experience. Oh, now so tell us about that. More to come on that shortly. I okay, well without too many details, are you able to tell us anything about that? Well, we do have people who come and would like to spend more time and know more about the aircraft. So we saw this as an opportunity to perhaps do a more detailed visit, uh, lasting one and a half, two hours, where we'll not just talk about the history of the aircraft, its development, its use in Australia, and why did Australia buy it in the first place, but also look at its uh, features that were first of, uh, the swing wing, the afterburning turbofan, etc. We'll go into more details about those and some of the science and history behind them. But also we're going to get our visitors to sit down and plan a full mission uh, which we would have done if we were doing a strike using the F-111 in the Air Force uh, 10, 15 years ago. Wow, so it's a kind of a, a hands-on experience. Mm. And then we'll sit them in the cockpit, um, get them to do some checklists, talk about uh, the mission itself, and then of course, like every mission, afterwards you have to have the debrief. So either they can debrief us or we can debrief them or perhaps it will be a bit of mutual debriefing. And of course, if that was over a beer afterwards, that would be even better, wouldn't it? <laughs> and this is for small groups of people? At this stage, we're looking at a maximum of two. We really want it to be one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and we think that a larger group then for us as guides means that what do you do with the... The other, let's say if it was a four, group of four, what do you do with the other three when you're sitting in the cockpit? So I think we'll stick to two, we, and it's, it's certainly that's what we plan to do initially, and we'll see how that goes and, and develop from there. So watch out for that coming in 2022, the ultimate F-111 experience. Keep an eye on the uh, QAM website and on our Facebook page for information about that, and uh, we would love to give you the opportunity to join in with that as well. Dave, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, what, what days are you here normally as a guide? Normally I'm here uh, on Mondays and of late Saturdays, sometimes Wednesdays as well. <laughs> uh, it all really depends on if we've got tours coming. 
then we juggle ourselves to have the right people for the tour. Uh, but most of us sort of stick to, to for me, it's uh, Mondays and Saturdays. And when somebody comes into the Air Museum, if, if you're here guiding, you don't just focus on the F-111, you take them around the entire collection. Most, most of our guides uh, have acquired a lot more information about the other uh, exhibits. We've, uh, we're lucky in that some of the guides have flown other aircraft and so we all listen in on what they've said and, uh, and get a few stories from them. So one of our guides has actually flown the Gannet, for instance, and crashed it into the sea and managed to survive its sinking. So we can tell those stories. But I think it's still somewhere in the South China Sea, is that right? It is, yes. But some of our other aircraft, like the Ventura, which is the restored World War II anti-submarine aircraft, uh, there's a lot of stories there which we've uh, got from the people who've been at the museum for a long time. But also it's surprising that some of our visitors uh, often say, well, I've flown that aircraft. So it's an opportunity to ask them questions. I had a gentleman here last week who uh, had flown MiG-15s and MiG-17s as a test pilot wow. with the Polish Air Force. Wow. So we have a MiG-15 and uh, we went down there and he talked to me for about half an hour about that aircraft. So now I'm an instant expert on <laughs> MiG-15s. But all jokes aside, I'm sure there are things that you're constantly learning and hearing about for the first time as well. That's, that's true. And I suppose what we try to do is to go and do more research for each of the aircraft and then share that with our other guides. So we've now got a, a, an interesting cross-section of, of people who are guides. Uh, most of them are aircrew, but also engineers. And, uh, and so I suppose we, we feed on each other and get lots of information. So we have one or two guides normally on duty here every day that the museum is open and the museum is going to be open in 2022 every day except Christmas Day and Good Friday, I believe. So if somebody was to come in here, they can be sure that they will find a guide around the place who can uh, answer their questions and talk to them if they like. Otherwise, they're very welcome to just wander around here and uh, take their own time and uh, many people do that too. But it, it's, it's the kind of place where you do get to meet as you say, people you didn't expect to meet, people whose stories you've never heard, people who, who share a common uh, interest and love for aviation, and whether it's military or civilian. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful place. So we'd love to see you join us here in Hangar 1 at some point and uh, either meet Dave or one of our other guides and uh, have a look at our F-111 amongst the almost 100 aircraft we have here on display. Uh, as well as engines and uh, so look out for the advertising about the uh, F-111 experience coming up in 2022. I would love to talk to you more Dave because I feel like we've really only scratched the surface so can we talk again? We surely can. Well thank you very much for talking to me today and uh, we will talk again. Thank you. So that was my very brief conversation with Dave. There will be more to come. Dave and others here have a lot of stories to share and we're going to Collect those together as a, an audio archive of aviation heritage. We're going to store those here as part of the QAM collection, and we're going to make sure that they are available to you to listen to and to learn from and enjoy. We're going to be bringing you interviews and conversations with pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, civil aviation cabin crew, 
And we also want to hear from you. Shoot us an email at qammark1, that's O-N-E for one, qammark1 at gmail.com, or have a look for the discussion group on Facebook. On Facebook, just search for the Mark One Hanger and join the group. The Facebook group is also where we'll have photos and maybe videos of the people we speak with and the aircraft or aero engines or whatever it is we are discussing for that episode. So that's the Mac One Hanger on Facebook. So that's our first episode. Thank you for putting us in your ears. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours, and we will do our best to bring you a new episode every week or so. I'm Gary, and this has been Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. Come and see us soon.